Thanks, Gus and Wes. Appreciate you guys. Well, friends, it is, it is great to be with you. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. I serve as uh, pastor of teaching and discipleship. And today, uh, I get the honor of looking uh, with you at a passage that I think in many ways uh, really kind of messes with us a little bit in all the right ways. And so, is, is I was thinking about our time together this week, I was reminded that very much I do not believe in the reality of a purgatory. However, if there were a place of refining torment, one of the places in that room, one of the rooms in that place, would have to be the assembling of Ikea furniture. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, ever, ever since we have moved here to Nashville in a fresh way, we've got furniture in a box, and I start putting this stuff together, and what makes me so angry every time is not only are the directions unclear, it's the smiling face that looks back at you like, oh, I know exactly what I'm doing. You know, like it, it, it's as if, hey, you're just supposed to know how this stuff goes together. And, and yet we struggle uh, to make our way through it. You know, it was reminded this week that in so many ways, life can be exactly like that. Uh, sometimes we are presented with truths and images and realities that speak to some of the deepest issues of life. And in the midst of that, one of our greatest challenges is to know how that speaks into our life. Today, we come to a passage that in many ways on the surface seems very mysterious, uh, seems uh, very deep and profound, and indeed it is. And yet it brings us again and again back to a simple reality of where we look for the ultimate source of wisdom. And so if you have your Bible, let me invite you to open up with me to Daniel chapter 2. And there in Daniel, we're going to read uh, some verses together, beginning in verse 17. And there, here's what we're told. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might be destroyed, might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. And the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we have asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Man, Daniel chapter 2 is one of these chapters that is just full of so many uh, details. In fact, uh, this was one of those weeks where I really felt like I could preach for about three hours on this passage. Don't worry, I won't. I boiled it down to about half an hour. But in this passage, uh, we find so much that's going on both in Babylon and even in the nation of Israel. Is God is doing a profound work in some of the most unexpected ways. In fact, uh, if you're just joining us this week, we're in the midst of this series. We've just launched into the book of Daniel. And we've been suggesting to you that Daniel really is about this unshakable kingdom that God is inaugurating, this beautiful mystery of God establishing a, a kingdom that stands over and against all the kingdoms of this world, even when it doesn't look the way it ought to, according to the world's perspective. 
In fact, as we were reminded last week, Daniel begins uh, with Daniel and three of his friends being carried off into captivity. And as they're carried off in captivity to Babylon as a result of Israel's rebellion against God, Daniel finds himself a victim of human trafficking and even sexual exploitation, as Pastor Mark showed us last week. And yet it's here in the midst of these moments when life seems so ultimately lost that God does something beautiful and profound. He makes a statement that defies every expectation of what we would expect at this point in the story. And he reminds us that he is the king who stands above it all. We've been suggesting to you uh, throughout this series that kind of the key theme of the book of Daniel is that in all, God's above all. In everything, God remains sovereign and supreme. And this week, as we come to this passage, we're reminded of what I want to suggest to you is the key idea of our text today. Simply this, that God alone is wise and he knows exactly what he's doing. God alone is wise and he knows exactly what he's doing. And to help us understand that reality, we begin with the recognition that God's wisdom really begins in the reality of who he is, that God's wisdom defies that of even human kings. If you have your Bible, look with me in chapter 2, verse 1. For we're told in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. You know, as this is going on, we ought not be surprised that Nebuchadnezzar is the one uh, who's uh, having dreams. According to um, Babylonian uh, images of of kingdom and monarchy, they believed uh, that the king was an embodiment of the deity Marduk, that he would receive insight and wisdom. And yet the irony is, we're going to learn that the one who is giving this dream is not Marduk, it's Yahweh. It's the king over all kings. And what we're told is that as this is happening, Nebuchadnezzar has these dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Uh, Let's talk about these dreams for a second. This wasn't just Nebuchadnezzar dreamed he could fly. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't just Nebuchadnezzar dreaming that he could make a chocolate bunny. It, It was Nebuchadnezzar recognizing that this dream that he's having is so important, so significant, that it spoke to the reality of the whole course of human history. In fact, uh, when this happens, notice what Nebuchadnezzar does. He panics. He assembles uh, the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerer, and the Chaldeans to be summoned to tell him his dreams. Literally, he calls in all the big guns that Babylon has to offer. Uh, this word for the Chaldeans, it's the Hebrew word, kazdim. And it carries with it those who were raised up in the Babylonian court who weren't just um, ethnically Babylonian, but those had been, who had been particularly trained in the wisdom and the insight of the magicians and the sorcerers of Babylon. Likely, this was the training that Daniel and his friends uh, were subjected to. And yet, in the midst of it, they remained faithful to recognizing where the real source of wisdom really comes from. You know, it's, uh, the king comes to the men and he asks him, tell me the meaning of this dream. Tell me what's going on here. We find a very interesting shift that begins to happen beginning in verse 4. 
Because then we're told, then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic. You know, if you're studying the book of Daniel, one of the things that you'll discover is something very interesting happens at this point in the book. Up until this point, the entire book of Daniel has been in Hebrew. But now as we come to this section, it will continue in Aramaic all the way through the end of chapter 7. And scholars have recognized that one of the reasons why this is so incredibly important is because there's a literary tool that's being used here in order to draw our attention to one of the larger themes within the book of Daniel. Now, if you want to know the 75-cent word, so maybe you can score a couple hundred bucks on Jeopardy, uh, the term for this literary tool is what we call chiasm or chiasm. And basically what happens in chiasm is it's, it's a way in which literary ideas are presented in such a way and then paralleled for emphasis. One of the things that will begin to happen within a chiasm is that it's at the center of this chiasm that the real image, the real meat, the real point of all of these different stories comes into focus. And if you look at this diagram, one of the things that you'll notice is that at the center of this chiasm is this focus of God's sovereignty over the Gentile kings. No doubt, Nebuchadnezzar prided himself. Hey, it was my insights and conquests that led our armies to overcome the nation of Israel. It was our wisdom and skill in battle that gave us this victory. But as we're going to see throughout the book of Daniel, and particularly in the next few sections, the most important issue is the recognition of when confronted with God's wisdom, will we yield our own and trust his purposes, surrendering our lives to him. And so in this moment of panic, in this moment of trying to understand the dream, the king comes to his servants and he gives a seemingly impossible request. Not only does he call for the servants and the sorcerers and the magicians to interpret the dream, you know what he does? He says, tell me the dream itself. I mean, the Chaldeans are like, king, I mean, we're used to translating your dreams. We're used to telling you the meaning and the purposes behind your dreams, but to read your mind and tell you your dream, who can do that? And that culminates in this powerful tongue-in-cheek statement that's found in verse 10. Then the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no Great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. They're like, you know what? We can't, we can't read your mind. The only person who could read your mind is God. And when they hear this statement, Nebuchadnezzar gets furious. In fact, notice what begins to happen. It says that he becomes angry and very furious, and he commands that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. The Aramaic here is uh, really emphatic. Literally, it's gather all the wise men and chop them to bits. I mean, he is angry. He is ticked. And in this, he comes and he gathers together all the wise men of Babylon. He sends out his executioner, Arioch, to go and to gather up all of these wise leaders within the nation because they had failed to meet his task. And along the way, he comes to meet Daniel and his three friends. 
And then Daniel does something that is absolutely amazing and unimaginable. We're told in verse 16, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show him the interpretation of the dream. Now, can we talk about something for a second? At this point in the story, Daniel doesn't know the meaning of the dream. Daniel doesn't know what the dream itself is. But what Daniel does know is that the God that he worships is the God who will stand with him. He is the God who is alone wise and the God who is the revealer of every good thing. In fact, what I want to suggest to you is the key idea of this section is simply this, that true wisdom is found as we recognize that the true author of all wisdom is the God of Israel. Now, friends, we all know the words of passages like Proverbs 9.10 that say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But can I ask you, when we come up against mysteries and challenging situations in life, where do we go? I mean, if you're like me, how many hours are wasted trying to figure out our problems in our own power? Maybe in those times of difficulty, we look to the wisdom of the world. Maybe we look to our own thoughts. Who knows? Maybe we even look to Wikipedia and Facebook for the wisdom and the insight. Or do we recognize that true wisdom begins when we radically align our lives with the fact that all wisdom is held by the God of Israel? And what if, like Daniel, so convinced of the goodness and the faithfulness and the blessing of God, he was willing to follow him no matter what? You know, uh, I'm going to borrow this from a later point. I was, um, I was reminded of a quotation this week um, that maybe you've heard before. And it, it reminds me of the difference between knowledge and wisdom. It's simply this, that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to use it in a fruit salad. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to use it in a fruit salad. Knowledge is not just knowing that a thing is true. Knowledge is knowing uh, what it is that I'm supposed to do with it. Knowledge is how I begin to orient my life around that reality. And as we come into this second point, one of the things that we're going to discover is that Daniel and his friends remind us that wisdom is ultimately found as we seek God and his ways. So here's Daniel. Uh, he's made this decision uh, to go before the king to offer interpretation for the king's dream. And what he does is he goes and tells Arioch he's going to appear before the king. And now Daniel knows the pressure's on. And look what he does in verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Think about that for a second. Here is Daniel confronted with a life and death situation. He doesn't lock himself in a closet trying to figure it all out in his own power. He doesn't um, 
you know, uh, pulled together all the best resources. In fact, the sense we even get is Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they didn't have a conversation about how do we figure this out together. But they fell to their knees and they prayed to the God of Israel that he might reveal his grace and mercy and love to them. You know, friends, as I was reading this this week, one of the things that I was reminded of is the power of community. One of the greatest gifts that we have as followers of Jesus is one another. Daniel just doesn't lock himself in a closet and try to do this in his own power, but he recognizes that there's a valuable and important place for others in his journey. It's why we so value community in our city groups and discipleship groups here at Fellowship. And as they pray together, the most beautiful thing happens. God answers. In fact, uh, what begins to happen is Daniel responds with this beautiful prayer of thanksgiving for who God is. Something that this week I just found myself praying, God, tattoo this on my heart. Like, if I could keep these realities in view, everything about my life would be different. Listen to what he says. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He's the one who changed seasons. He's the one who gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things, and he knows what is in the darkness. Again, it it seems like such a common and ordinary thought, and yet how life-changing it really is when we recognize that wisdom doesn't come from within ourselves, but wisdom comes from seeking God in his word. Wisdom comes as we radically acknowledge that God is the one who is in charge of it all. I mean, listen to these beautiful descriptions of who Jesus is, who God is, that he is the one who changes times and seasons. Kings are set up and fall because of him. He is the one who reveals deep and hidden things. And this week, I was reminded that one of the names that is ascribed to Jesus is what? The Wonderful Counselor. He is the one who loves to give wisdom. James 1 tells us that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. And God, who loves to give generously, will give. But do we believe that? Do we trust that? In fact, what I find even more stunning is that as Daniel is given the interpretation of this dream, listen to what he tells the king. For when Arioch brings him before the king, here's what he says in verse 30. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of the wisdom that I have any more than all the living. Oh, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Daniel is very clear to make known to the king, the one who is the author and the source of wisdom, is not his own cunning, it's not his own insight, it's not his own skill, but God and God alone is the source of wisdom. You know, this week I was reminded that when we're confronted with that reality, the key idea here, the key invitation that we find is that wisdom ultimately pursues God and seeks him and his wisdom first. Again, one of the things that I couldn't help but escape as I read Daniel's account in this story this week 
is Daniel's first response to the difficulty and the challenge that they faced was prayer. It was prayer. You know, as I was uh, with our staff this weekend, when we, we went over to the new facility, and we actually had the opportunity to write prayers on the wall. And as we looked at this beautiful, amazing facility that God is going to let us use to impact the neighborhood, I was reminded we have no clue what we're doing in our own power. Everything is going to be different as we move into that neighborhood. But here's the beautiful thing. The God we worship knows exactly what he wants to do in that neighborhood. The God we worship is the God who is inviting us and calling us as a family to go and to make a difference in this context of his kingdom. And as we go into this place, one of the most important things that we can continue to do as a church, as a staff, as a congregation is to fall on our face before God and say, God, give us the wisdom that we need to make the eternal impact you want to make in this community, in this city. This week I found myself praying, God, may the borders of our wisdom not be marked by our own cunning, but by the faithfulness of your goodness, mercy, and love. Friends, I know that if we do that, Radnor, Nashville, the world, they're never going to be the same. Because God is good. He is a God of wisdom and grace. And now we come uh, to the subject of what Daniel has seen, this, this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And it speaks to us of this, of this grand picture of what God is doing across human history. And it is the reminder that God stands above all the kingdoms of the world. So beginning in verse uh, 31, here's what we're told. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, uh, namely a great statue. This image, mighty and exceeding in brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was of fine gold, and its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken into pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain, and it filled the whole earth. You know, friends, as we come to subjects like this, we butt up against a, a genre of Old Testament literature that we call prophecy. And one of the things that I've noticed as we try and engage with these moments is we try and um, work out from them all the different details, maybe even stretching beyond the text to understand what these things mean. This week, as I was uh, looking at this and looking at the different interpretations uh, that came, I was quickly reminded of uh, one of my favorite verses when it comes to the study of Scripture. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. This is one that is well worth memorizing. And here's what we're told, that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. 
In other words, the point is what God has revealed in his word, we can understand that, we can bank on that. But when we come against mystery, oftentimes one of our greatest challenges is to simply recognize that it is mystery. You know, beginning in verse 36, Daniel offers an interpretation. And this was the dream. That these are the kingdoms uh, that will come after you. And what scholars have done is they've taken uh, these uh, different images of the statue that are seen and have ascribed it to the many kingdoms and empires that have followed after Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, here's a picture of uh, that statue. Uh, Again, scholars have recognized, we're told that Daniel himself tells uh, Nebuchadnezzar that he is the head of gold. After that would come the uh, arms and chest of silver that is often attributed to the kingdom of Media and Persia. The belly and thighs of brass and bronze connecting to Greece and Macedonia. Legs of iron connected to Rome. And the one that often gets the most discussion and play is what is this final kingdom? The kingdom partly of iron, partly of clay. And friends, uh, as I did my research into this, again, I'm reminded there's about 90 different interpretations of what that means. And if I'm honest, uh, the only answer I can bring you is I don't know. I don't know. But one of the things that we clearly can understand from this text is that the point of this parable or this image, this vision, is not the statue. It's the mountain that's coming. A mountain that is uncut by human hands. A mountain that is God himself doing something beautiful and profound. And it is going to smash into this statue. It is going to turn everything about this statue to dust. All the kingdoms and ways of this world will be done away with. And this mountain, oh, this mountain, it's going to fill the whole earth. In fact, one of the things that some have noted, we're told that it strikes the feet. And perhaps this is a reference, though I'm not 100% sure of this, but perhaps this is a reference to the coming kingdom of Christ that comes under Roman rule. As God himself steps into human existence and inaugurates a kingdom not of this world, not of any earthly ruler, but the kingdom of God that he is setting up on the earth. You might say, well, Ryan, we haven't seen the full consummation of it. Yeah, you're right. That's why scholars refer to the already and the not yet of the kingdom. That the kingdom is here, that the kingdom is God aligning us with his way and his rule and his reign in our lives. And yet there comes a time that we look forward to when all the weakness all the frailty, all the brokenness of this world will be done away with. Friends, as I turned on the news this week and I heard the stories of of war that rages on in Ukraine and Russia, I just found myself crying out and longing, Lord, may that mountain get here faster. Lord, as, as as I walk around and I see the brokenness even in our own community, the injustices that mark our day and age, I cry out with all the much more fervor. God, may that mountain, may that kingdom, may your love and your reign expand in our hearts 
and our lives more and more. And how we look forward to the day when the kingdom of God will come in its fullest measure and all the world will acknowledge that he and he alone is the king. Amen? You know, as Daniel gives this interpretation, one of the things that I find so beautiful is the response of the king. Listen to what he says in verse 47. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God, your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. What a beautiful point in in Nebuchadnezzar's life. This beautiful confession, Daniel, because of your faithfulness, Daniel, because of your work, Daniel, because of your trust in the God you worship. I see you're right. That God is God. That God is a revealer of dreams. And this week, one of the things I found myself praying for us as a congregation is God so fill us with wisdom that all the world, all of Nashville looks on and says, you're right. God is a God of gods because I see his presence in you. Don't you long for that? I know I do. I know many of you do as well. And I'm convinced that the journey of walking into that place begins in the recognition that each of us will be called day in and day out, just as Nebuchadnezzar was, to align our lives with the wisdom of God. In fact, maybe the question I would leave us with in this text is simply this. Where can I align with God? And his wisdom. Friends, again, it is no surprise to those of us who have been around the church for a while that God alone is wise. But in the quiet moments of doubt and fear and uncertainty, is that something we cling to? I mean, we, we know that God alone is wise, but when life doesn't make sense, Do we hold the course trusting that he's faithful, that he's good? Or do we simply turn to other ways because, hey, this doesn't make sense to me? You know, this week I was reminded of a quotation by um, Charles Spurgeon. And he, he simply said this, that I have learned to kiss the wave that slams me into the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave that slams me into the rock of ages. Friends, there is a beautiful mystery when we come to the end of ourselves. When we come to the end of that point when we recognize, I have no clue what to do. Good. Because those are the moments when God shows up. 
Those are the moments when we are confronted again and again in a fresh way that he is God and we are not. And he is a generous God of wisdom who delights in giving wisdom to his people. Maybe you're here today and and there is some challenge before you and you're like, I have no clue how I'm going to get through this. Pray. Seek the wisdom of the God of the ages. Or maybe you're here today and you would recognize that there is some place in your life where you have beat your head against the wall again and again and again and again. Trying to do it in your wisdom, in your power, in your way. As we have sung in previous songs, can you trust that God, your way is better? Your way is better. You know better than I do. And so I trust you because you're good and you're true. Friends, I come back to that Ikea furniture. And can I tell you, you know when I get into the most trouble? It's when I throw the instructions to the side. Can't tell you how many times I've decided who needs instructions and I put the thing together only to put on the final piece to realize back at step two, I made some error and I have to disassemble the whole thing and start again. Friends, in much the same way, are we living our lives where we aren't standing on the truth of what God has revealed in his word? Believing we have to do this in our own power, we begin to build our lives on a sketchy foundation that's doomed to fail. Oh, friends, today, my prayer is that God would give us a clearer and clearer vision of who he is. And invite the worship team to come back up. As they do, I just, I want to invite you to take a moment between you and the Lord. Where is God inviting you to wisdom today? Maybe you would acknowledge, hey, I've been making fruit salads with tomatoes. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you know, I've never believed that God really wanted to give me wisdom. But today I'm willing to take that risk of believing and trusting that he really is that good. Would you? Today. May he continue to fill us with his wisdom as his gift. Not because of our cunning, not because of our insight, not because of our skill, but surely as an expression of his rich grace and mercy to us. Friends, may the presence of God so fill our lives that the world looks on and says, surely your God is a God of gods. The one true king over it all. The king of the unshakable kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, your way is better. Lord, we confess to you that in the midst of the pain and the struggles of life, so often we forget that. So often we, we, we go in search of plan B and you just patiently wait for us, inviting us to come home to your wisdom and insight. 
Oh God, how I pray for each one here today. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your wisdom, that you would grant us the grace to surrender, to throw our hearts and our lives open, confident of your awareness and goodness. Then your mercy and your love, you would continue to shape us for your glory. Lord, you alone are the king. You alone are the king of the unshakable kingdom. May the mountain that is coming fill our hearts. Consume us, O Lord, in your love, your grace, your mercy, and your power today. We pray for your glory alone. Amen.